lowest to the highest, from the furthest to the nearest, from the smallest of the smallest to the greatest of the greatest. Yoga is about all of life, everything we do, all of existence. My name is James Bogue. Welcome to the Whole Life Yoga Podcast. And today, the topic is Kirtan. Kirtan, which is one of my favorite yoga practices or practice techniques, <laughs> although really, as we'll explore in these episodes, yoga can be accessed in pretty much anything that we are doing. And yoga techniques help us recognize that. They help train us in the ways of making whatever we are doing a means to deepen our experience of yoga, to deepen our experience of balance, harmony, reconciliation of that which might seem impossible to reconcile, and all those different pairs of opposites that characterize our human experience. Pairs of opposites like expansion and contraction, gain and loss, joy and sorrow, and so on. So yoga is all about harmonization. It's all about working with reality and its inevitable ups and downs, and working with them to invite ourselves into a space of greater centeredness and steadiness. So yoga is the state of being centered, but it's also a process to cultivate that centeredness. There are many techniques that we can use to invite this. And kirtan, as I mentioned, is one of my favorites. So what is kirtan? Kirtan, literally, let's look at the word. Kirti means glory, from the root kirt, which means to tell the glory. Kirtanam, glorification. So at a kirtan, we sing. We sing songs that basically remind us of the glory of being a human being, of being alive. I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget. Sometimes I allow myself to feel weighed down by the travails, trials, challenges of life, and by the craziness of existence, the craziness of the world that I see around me. But other times, I remember, yes, we human beings are capable of all sorts of horror and craziness, but we are also capable of tremendous beauty. And is this not a beautiful world? You know, some people, they'll talk about, ooh, wouldn't it be great to go and zoom off to, to Mars? And, hmm, what about Venus? Could we wear, could we get, you know, uh, some type of spacesuit that we could travel towards the green planet? Well, I don't know. I will happily admire the beautiful green Venus from this place. I will happily look up at the orangey red planet Mars. But you know what? I'm so, so grateful to be an Earthling because, wow, what a planet we live on, this beautiful blue-green planet. It's just a miracle. When we remember that, we tend to tend this planet a little bit better, a little bit more consciously, a little more considerately, a little bit more awareness. Maybe we cherish this gift of life and respect it in ourselves and others that little bit more. Kirtan is a practice that can help us do that. Now, Kirtan these days, for many people, I know sometimes, for example, I tell people I'm doing Kirtan. What's that? Yoga singing. Yoga singing? What's that? And people feel, well, they feel all sorts of things when they hear this. It depends where they are. It depends if they've experienced it before. But what I find really rather sad is that in some parts of the world, getting together to sing has now become something strange, something weird, something alien, something foreign. And this is a tragedy. Why is it a tragedy? Because 
I'll tell you a story. A friend of mine, she's called Evelyn, and she's a singer. She's a bel canto opera singer. And I was involved in a chorus project in Ireland in 2022. And Evelyn was the leader of this project. And she told us this story of she was out on the west coast of Ireland looking out to sea. And she saw what she some dolphins in the in the sea and she sang them a song a, t- a song came to her and she sang this song it goes something like this Aroha, sang this song to the dolphins and to the ocean. Now Evelyn, she's from Ireland, but she's lived in several countries over her lifetime, including in New Zealand. The day after she sings this song to the dolphins and the ocean, she gets a call from one of her Maori brothers in New Zealand. Hey sister, I'm sorry I'm not going to try and do a New Zealand accent. Hey sister, we heard the call, what do you need? And she says, yeah I heard you. And he said to her, he says, yeah, the whales, they're always singing. And their song goes around the planet and it helps harmonise the planet. But you know what, sister, it's terrible. These days, what's happened to us? We are the great mammals of the earth, but we have forgotten to sing. And our Mother Earth, she is missing our song. And it's not just Mother Earth that misses our song. We, I would say, are missing our song because... Only a few generations back, most human beings would sing together with others most days. Now you might think, so what? But I'll say it, it really matters because when we sing, many amazing things happen. When we sing with others, we connect at a level before, beneath and beyond ideas. So when we come together and we sing together and we create something together, This is a deep, visceral experience of shared co-creative potential. It reminds us of our common humanity. It reminds us that we can relate, we can harmonise, we can connect at a level that's subtler, deeper, somehow real, much realer than the ideas or opinions that might sometimes divide us. So communities that sing together, it can help create that greater cohesion. And it can help create a sense of shared humanity that allows the negotiation of differences and the discussion of potentially contentious or controversial issues in a more spacious and respectful, compassionate way. And this is something that I would suggest could be of tremendous benefit to pretty much any society on the earth today. Singing together as well, so many benefits for our health. You may have heard the story, I don't remember the particular dates, but this is the story. There was a monastery, I think it was in France, and the monks there would chant Gregorian chants every day, several hours. Beautiful Gregorian chanting. But then a new abbot comes to town, and this abbot, he likes silence, and so no more chanting, and 
doesn't go well. Pretty much all the monks fall sick because they maintain the same type of daily rhythm that they were enjoying before, just minus the, the singing. All the monks get ill. Mm. The abbot calls in a doctor. And this is a good doctor. So what does he do? He actually examines the patients by looking at them face to face, eye to eye, observing their bodies, observing how they're holding themselves. And then he asks them questions. And he realizes, hmm, they've all mentioned, they've all got sick since they stopped singing. And they're all really exhausted now. They used to sing for several hours a day and they would only sleep three or four hours a night. Now they sleep three or four hours a night and they're all falling sick. They're all run down. They're all lacking in vitality. And the doctor says to the abbot, you know, um, did you make any changes when you came? And the abbot says, oh yes. I stopped them doing all the chanting and the, the doctor says, well, this may sound a bit strange, but I think that might be the reason you're having these problems. Because perhaps let's consider that all of that chanting was doing something in their physiology, in their, in their physical organisms that was helping harmonize their systems, it was cleansing out all sorts of things that wanted to be cleansed out. It was helping everything cohere and so work together more easily, more harmoniously. Because when we sing, what happens? When we sing in harmony, together, if we sing beautiful Gregorian chanting or beautiful songs of devotion, which are invoking the energy of harmonization, of love, acceptance and reconciliation, if that is the vibration that we are emanating out and inviting in, what type of effect is that going to have on our organism? It's going to make it feel great and it's going to help it function more easily. Don't believe me? Just try it. Come to Kirtan and sing for two hours. Sing songs of devotion and see what happens in your physiology. I know from experience that when I'm singing a lot, I just feel different. I have had the blessed situation at various junctures in my life to do a lot of Kirtan singing several hours a day, several days in a row. I always notice the difference. Sometimes in my life I'm in places where I don't have that opportunity in the same way. And I feel the difference. But it's a practice. Yoga is always experiential. It's pragmatic. It's practical. So it's a do-it-yourself project. You have to try for yourself and try wholeheartedly, courageously. And that's another thing about singing. It does require, in these times, a little bit of courage, as we've mentioned. These days, many of us have become estranged from the practice of singing. And I find that strange because it's just such an intrinsic part of being human beings. We have this amazing linguistic expressive capacities for language and song. And I don't care where you came out of a womb. Wherever you came out of a womb, you are the descendant of people who sang and danced together, who got together in circle to share song and dance, and story, and food, and fellowship, and community. And that, that is the heart of real, generative, productive, nourishing, harmonizing human culture. So getting together to sing and to dance, it's just, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our human memory. And when we do come together to sing, sometimes people come up to a kirtan with me and they say, I've never done kirtan before. And at the end of the session, they're like, oh yes, I have done this before. Because when I was a kid, sometimes we would all sing together. And uh, yeah, I experienced something. Oh, this it reminds me of something. It's not something foreign. We've just become estranged from something that is a beautiful and intrinsic and potentially wonderfully healing, harmonizing, uplifting part of what it means to be human. But these days, when 
not so many people get together to sing, it can take a little bit of courage to go to a kirtan or to sing in a group or to sing in a circle. And one of the reasons it takes courage is because it means going against the inertia of a false belief that we may have carried for who knows how many years. Because the sad reality is that many human beings living in the world today, they have been carrying around the lasting toxic residues of a terrible lie that was foisted upon them when they were mere children. And what lie is this? The lie that, oh, you cannot sing. Or you've not got a voice for singing. Or perhaps even more ridiculous, you have no rhythm. I don't know if you heard these particular words. If you didn't hear anything like any of them, you're one of the lucky ones. Because so many children hear things like this. And maybe when they sing, they get told to be quiet. Oh. <laughs> when they dance, they get told to sit still. Oh, you know. Children need and want to express their burgeoning capacities. And same for teenagers. As we, when we're young, we're growing all the time and we want to express and explore these burgeoning, growing, expanding capacities. But so many kids, they're making a noise and the parents, the teachers, the caregivers, everybody's, be quiet, sit still, and all that type of thing. But worse than that, so many kids get told by somebody, you can't sing. Who tells you this? And how do they know? <laughs> you know, just because you hit an odd note sometimes doesn't mean you can't sing. And just because you don't dance like, you know, a member of the Bolshoi Ballet the first time you go on the dance floor doesn't mean you've got no rhythm. I mean, the people who say this, what a ridiculous lie. They say you've got no rhythm to a child who is standing there in front of you with a beating heart. We all have a rhythm. And we all have a voice. And it may be true. Some of you might be watching, listening to this and thinking, yeah, he hasn't heard me sing. So many people have said to me, oh, I, I like, yeah, I, don't, I ask them, do you like singing? And they say, uh, yeah, in the shower, the, the neighbours don't like it. And they say things like this. There's so much insecurity around singing. And so I would invite you to be a little bit courageous and come and join a kirtan. One thing that often, well, it pretty much always happens at kirtan, it's not like singing in a choir. I like singing in a choir. I've not done it a lot, but I like it. And you don't have to sing, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to have to sing that particular harmony, I've got to learn to read music. No, it's not like that. We're just all going to sing together and something magical happens. This togetherness emerges, this harmony emerges. It just happens organically, naturally. Doesn't, not, nothing forced about it. We just sing these simple songs and before very long, this harmony emerges and we cannot ignore it we cannot chase it away it's it's emerged and we benefit from it we feel it it is nourishing it is refreshing it is cleansing and it just will happen i promise you <laughs> and another beautiful thing about kirtan is that when we sing when we make these sounds they reach into parts of ourselves that other practices might not be able to access. So when we sing, the sound is not limited. That sound is going to vibrate and travel to every nook and cranny of our being. It's going to resonate through all of ourselves. So I'll often say about kirtan, it reaches the parts that other techniques are not always able to because it works with sound. 
and sound fills space. It penetrates, it pervades. There's nowhere it cannot reach. So if, for example, I've got a little something in my body, I want to work it out, I can do some movement practices. I can do some yoga asana. I can do some breathing work. I can go and swim, whatever. I can do something to try and loosen it up. And those practices, I love all of them. They're going to be tremendously helpful. But sometimes we find something that, hmm, it's deeper, it's subtler. And sound is often tremendously helpful to help shift those things that otherwise are difficult to shift. Kirtan, as well as reaching the parts that other techniques are not always able to reach, it also can pave the way for other types of practice. So one thing that people can often experience with Kirtan is that when we sing, there's this beautiful sound, but when we stop singing, there's this beautiful stillness, this beautiful silence. So Kirtan can be a lovely precursor to some time of meditation, but it also invites our whole system, our whole being, into a centered, balanced state. And once we've experienced that, once we've tasted that, it then gives us a reference. This is the same for most yoga techniques. We want to give ourselves a reference of harmony, of balance, of integration. So then if we come away from harmony, balance, integration, we can notice that much more readily and do something practical to remedy it as best we can in the situation we find ourselves in. So if we practice kirtan, we practice it regularly, we can help remind ourselves of the subtler attunement that is our innate capacity. So I could go on, but those are a few of the reasons that I love kirtan. And just describe what do we do in a kirtan? We basically sing call and response and all together. And we allow the power of our voices, of our intention, of our capacity to come together, to invite this harmonious, uplifting energy to wash through us, over us. And another thing that's really fantastic about Kirtan, my meditation teacher said, well, the great thing about Kirtan, like if you do a two-hour Kirtan, for example, the time will go by very quickly. But he says that's two hours when you're not misbehaving. Your mind is not wandering to all sorts of ridiculous places. So, I don't know about you, but if I stop and observe my thoughts, my mental and yeah, my mental tendencies over a period, I notice it's a bit like you know the London Underground. You know, it has the circle line, it goes around and around the same old stations. And if you go on the circle line, there are also these interchange stations. You can branch out on the district line or the northern line or the metropolitan line, for example. I notice that my own thought patterns, you know, I tend to just call in at the same old stations quite a lot. I have these, these perennial concerns, those things I, that from the past that still, somehow they still weigh on me, those things about the future I'm concerned about, these things that pull me in different directions. When I sing Kirtan for two hours, I'm not going, I'm not calling at those habitual stations. I'm inviting myself into the central station, the place of being more attuned, more harmonious. I'm inviting myself to pause, to step away from the commotion of befuddled and uh, splintered thought patterns into a place of much greater steadiness, cohesion and joy and refreshment. One final thing I'll say about Kirtan is also 
It's a joyful practice, but it doesn't always sound like it at first listen. Because sometimes in Kirtan, we sing songs that sound initially like lamentation. But what happens when you sing the blues? It allows the grief, it allows the sadness to start to move. And you start singing the blues and before long, you move into songs of praise. Classic example. This is, if you ever listen to Martin Prechtel talk about grief and praise, he talks about, you know, when somebody dies, back in, in a healthy village society, they call on the sensitive people in the community to come and start wailing. And those people come and they start wailing. They start singing the songs of lamentation. Before long, the whole village is crying a river of tears to carry that departed person over the river to the other side. But why, what are those tears about? What is that grief about? That grief is the expression of our love for the person who is gone. And so after a while of tears and grief and the song of lamentation, what happens? Somebody shares a funny story and then we start remembering the beautiful qualities about that person and the grief allows then the praise to emerge. So sometimes in Kirtan we'll sing songs of longing and they may have a quality that might sound slightly melancholic. Other times they might sound very upbeat. It's not like we have to do things in a certain way. But nonetheless, when I guide a kirtan, there are certain parameters that we work within to ensure that the energy that we're working with is going to be harmonious. So we're going to start in a way to invite all the parts of ourselves to be present and to invite ourselves to tune in to those subtler nourishing, harmonizing capacities that are part of ourselves, And then we'll go on a journey and we'll work with different ways to invite that harmonizing energy and hopefully then leave feeling harmonized, feeling uplifted, feeling refreshed. So kirtan may seem a strange practice for some people, but I would just suggest that really it's nothing strange. It's strange that kirtan is strange. We have become estranged from so many of the most basic things that maintain health and cohesion through human society. And coming together to sing, I would suggest, is a wonderful, easily accessible way to boost our health at so many levels and through all the layers of our being. So I do kirtans. I try to do kirtan at least in public, at least once a week wherever I am. So check out my website. Uh, I usually post on those social media places when I am doing kirtan. Uh, I have occasionally even done them online. Uh, and if I'm doing one near you, I hope you'll come and sing with me. And wherever you are, I hope that you have a chance to sing, sing with others and be part of generating your own nourishing entertainment. And reminding yourself, this is the lovely thing about Kirtan, we remind ourselves that we don't need something mediated to be entertained. We can actually create our own entertainment. And when we do, it's very rewarding. Kirtan really is a glorious practice.